can you please say your name for me? Because, I mean, not that Lowell would butcher it at all, but I would like your pronunciation. <laughs> yes, my name is Marie-Claude de Molnar. Oh, that is much prettier coming from your mouth. No offense, Lowell. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Obstacles and Opportunities with Lowell and Julie. Sharing stories, empowering mindsets. Today's guest is Paralympic cyclist and world champion Marie-Claude Molnar, a.k.a. MC. When MC was just 21, she was hit from behind by a vehicle traveling 110 kilometers per hour. She sustained head trauma in addition to other serious injuries. Her positivity, resilience, go-getter attitude, and athletic ability propelled her in parasport. She shares the mindset of a champion and what keeps her going in the hardest part of a race. Her motto is never stop being a seeker and take action. We hope you enjoy Marie-Claude's story and her many pearls of wisdom as much as we did. There she is. Hello, hello. Hello. How are you? I am great. It's so good to see you. You too. Mary Claude has worked as our interpreter many a times across the world and with other teammates. You have very good French and very good English. Did you grow up bilingual or is English a second language? English is a second language, Okay, but uh, I learned it when I was very young. It's been 30 years. <laughs> wow. And how much do you use English in your regular day-to-day life? I don't use it as much, except when I'm on a Cycling Canada project, where obviously pretty much everybody speaks English. Oh, yeah. I've got English-speaking friends as well, so. That's handy. And, you know, when you're a guest on a hit podcast such as this one. Just kidding. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, when I attended university, it was an English-speaking university, so I had classes in English. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm picturing myself doing that in French, and I was pretty comfortable in French when I was in high school. My grade mm-hmm. 10 French teacher, I absolutely loved her, and I remember sitting yes. on the bus and translating my thoughts into French, but now it, I, there's no way I could take classes in French and understand. What, I'd be like, you'd have to go super, super slow, and then mm-hmm. I think I could pick it up, but all the conjugating yeah. and... The masculine feminine stuff, I just, I'm so sorry. I don't understand. Yeah. It's too much. <laughs> it is understandable. I mean, like, just with all the grammar, conjugating verbs, present, past tense, future, yeah. oh, future geez. imperfect, all of that. Uh, it's, it's a lot. It's, yeah. We love to dive deep into the mindset of elite performers. And you are definitely one of those. You are one of our shining stars of Cycling Canada. And you are yeah. the reigning... World, world champion. champion for the time <laughs> trial and the road race and what a cool experience so what is that like to wear rainbow stripes that rainbow jersey looks good on you by the way oh thank you thank you very much <laughs> uh well you know it's such an amazing feeling there's a lot of pride in knowing that i finally have that jersey and well there most certainly was a lot of teamwork team effort that went into the performances It's always something that I think it's important to mention that it's not a one-person thing, it's a team performance. It's kind of hard to to describe. There are many races during the season, you know, and there's, of course, the World Championship at the end of the season. It's always the race that you look forward to when you decide on your objectives for the season and everything. But for sure, you never know what happens, right, in a race because anything can happen. Well, that day turns out that I won the race. Yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of pride in mm-hmm. the accomplishment. And a, a pride in self, but also in the team. Yes. You've been with Cycling Canada for a long time. How long have you been with Cycling Canada? 
I started with the national team in my first year competing, and that was in 2009. So top results since 2009, you're able to compete around the world, World uh, Cups, World Championships. Yes. Didn't nationals. you get a Paralympic medal in 2012? Yes, yes, I did in London. Only three years into being on the national team. Wow. Yes, yes, I have it right here. <gasps> there it is. What event was that medal earned in? The individual time trial on the road. So right now you do road and track, right? Yes, I do both. Which do you prefer, if one? I like them both, but I think that I prefer the road time trial. Maybe because it's outside, but I also enjoy track. The individual pursuit, the three-kilometer race. Yeah, those are my favorite races, probably because they're the hardest, especially the individual time trial. Because, you know, like in a road race, you are racing with other cyclists. So if, for example, it's windy, well, well you know, you can always protect yourself somehow. Yeah. But in a time trial, whatever happened, like whatever weather you're racing in, mm. well, you have to... <laughs> it's just you. To dig in and, you know, just keep pushing and uh, pulling on the pedals until you reach the finish line. Wow. And do you prefer those shorter distances to the longer road race ones? The times, yes. <laughs> yes. I like all races for sure, but time trial and, and the pursuit are definitely my favorites. Mm -hmm. mm. What is that like for you, say, at the Paralympics, the world's biggest mm -hmm. stage that we're able to get to as para-athletes? What was that like when you attend an event like that? Can you recall the feelings, the memories? Mm -hmm. I had the chance to be in London and be in Rio. But for sure, I remember London the most because, I mean, it was, it was my, my first uh, Paralympic experience. And I just remember the wow factor. I mean, first thing first, the stamp that they put in your passport, you have the Games logo. Oh, so cool. It's just saying like, okay, well, I've made it. And you arrive in the village, you put your feet on the ground and you're just looking everywhere. And it's just amazing. Like... You have the buildings, but in a World Cup or a World Championships, for example, you have maybe 200, 300 athletes, but you get to the games and you have close to 5,000 athletes. Wow. So that's 5,000 people being there at the same place at the same time and for the same reason, which is to give their maximum to hopefully get a good result and come back with a medal and being proud to represent their country. But even if you come back with a medal or not, I mean, there's still a lot of pride in attending the, the Paralympic Games for sure. Oh, for sure. Because I think anybody there could win the medal. Everybody there deserves to. So the competition is just crazy. Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, you're there because you deserve to be there. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about your transition to para? Because you weren't always a para-athlete. Sport has always been a big part of my life. Ever since I was a kid in elementary school, I used to take part in every single athletic activity that was mm -hmm. organized. So I played hockey, I went swimming, tennis, volleyball, badminton. I even did ballet at some point <laughs> and cycling for sure, but very well rounded. Yeah, yeah. Cycling was always pretty much to get from point A to point B. And one day I was wondering how far I was able to go on my bike in one day. So I set up a, a course that would take me to some zoo that's like 60 kilometers away from where I live. So back and forth, that would be 120 kilometers. And to me, 
I was 21 years old back then. It was in 2005. And to me, 120 kilometers, it was like the Tour de France. Mm. It was like incredibly long. Yeah. I just went. And somehow on the way, there was a panel that said that my destination was that way. But there was also a panel that said that uh, there was a town called La Colle that was in the other direction. And I made the association in my head. I'm like, oh, La Colle, La Colle. La Colle is actually a town right next to the U.S. border. So from there, I told myself, oh, would I be able to get to the U.S. on my bike? And that's what I did. <laughs> I got to the border, took a selfie just to acknowledge that I was there <laughs> and made my way back home. But it's when I was on my way back home that my life changed. I was riding on a street and the speed limit was 70 kilometers per hour. But on that day, there was just a driver who decided that the speed limit didn't apply to him. And uh, he was actually going at 110 kilometers per hour. And that's the speed at which the car hit me. Oh, man. From behind? From behind, yes. So that's the good part, if I can say so, because yeah. I didn't see it coming. So I was not all tense on my bike. Yeah. And it's a big part of why I'm still here today. And of mm. course, because I was wearing my helmet, because I had been involved in so many different sports. I had muscles, so it got pretty much the, the entire impact. Do you remember it? I remember it, but I don't remember exactly what happened, okay. even though I have been told what happened, but I cannot say for sure if what I've been told is really what happened or mm. if it's not what happened. Mm. But the main thing is that there was someone out there who saved my life mm. because I really lost a lot, a lot, a lot of blood. The ambulance, they called the person who gave me first aid. They called him to tell him that uh, I was gone but they were able to bring me back with a shot of adrenaline in the, in the heart. Wow. Oh, wow. You actually died at one point and they brought you back. At one point I did, yeah, and they did bring, bring me back. So is there a heaven? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. Okay. The brain has this amazing ability to erase. Mm. The brain has difficulty writing down memories when it has that traumatic brain injury. And mm -hmm. you were hit from behind you were going yep. a decent clip, but then somebody hit you. And do you know what happened? I hit the, the windshield and of course it's made of glass, right? And glass, well, it, it cuts. So that's why my, my arms, I have a double partial um, amputation because there was like that much skin holding my, my arms to the rest of my body. And in the left leg, I got 20 fractures. Oh. So today I'm the proud owner of a metal bar that's in my left leg. Mm. And of course, well, yeah, I sustained a light head trauma. Oh. I have what I like to call abstract art on the arms. Oh. The, the scars. Scars, okay. Yeah. And so does it impact mobility? Absolutely not. Oh. No, it, it mainly impacts strength and uh, okay. endurance. Okay. And then can you describe how the brain injury impacts you day to day? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, day to day, the way that it impacts me is that I feel like my mental energy can drain quicker than somebody who hasn't sustained a head trauma. When I'm tired, I will have uh, some difficulties. For example, uh, I will be searching for my words. I will have less patience. It will be harder for me to concentrate, keep focused, and just being um, logical sometimes so those are the main things that i that i notice 
because the head trauma was light. So this is where it's kind of frustrating at times because mm -hmm. it's so light that when something like that happens, I can notice and I say, okay, well, that happened. And uh, well, you have to do with it. <laughs> mm -hmm. So you have enough awareness of it and you can see how it's impacting mm -hmm. you. And when you're fatigued or tired, probably higher stresses mm -hmm. after racing, after travel. <laughs> yeah. Many of us will have those difficult moments when we get tired and hangry and, and irritable. Mm -hmm. You're more susceptible to that when you're fatigued. Yes, exactly. But with the years, because I mean, well, it was in 2005 and we're in 2021, almost 2022. So it's been so long that I was able to develop a higher endurance mm -hmm. for those little things that impacted my life. It's still impacting my life, but to a somewhat lesser level than what it used to. So you're 21 years old when this happened? I was 21 years old. Yes. 21 years old and find yourself in the hospital. And how long was that hospitalization and recovery for you? The hospitalization was three weeks. And after that, I went to a place called Institut de Réadaptation de Montréal, where I had physiotherapy treatments and ergotherapy treatments five times a week. So it was an entire day of treatments. Wow, that sounds heavy. So were you still fluent in both French and English all the way through, like brain trauma and everything, and you could still just communicate in both languages? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. That's impressive. Yes. Because <laughs> there are some yeah, of I, us out here that don't have brain injury and still cannot speak two languages. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I also wanted to, to challenge myself and uh, took a, a German course in the university a few years ago. <gasps> and yeah. do you speak German now also? <laughs> yeah. Ich spreche Deutsch ein bisschen. Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> but very, very little, very little. Any amount is impressive. You're wow. 21 years old. Life is kind of moving in this direction. And then this changes things, changes your path. What was that moment like for you mentally and emotionally when everything seems to be shaken and uncertain? For one thing, I don't remember ever having a moment where I told myself, okay, I'm, I'm no longer be able to do this. I'm no longer be able to do that. For some reason, I just always saw everything in a positive light, in a bright light. When something like that happens to you, you have two choices, right? You can choose to let go and tell yourself, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm not going to be able to do that. Uh, what am I going to do with my life? Mm -hmm. But that's not the direction that I took. I took the direction of saying, okay, well, this is happening. And these are the tools that I have. And I can just go on and see what the, what I can do with it and see where life will take me. I attended university because I was, a, I was about to, to start university. So I started university and saw that for my head. And back then, it was difficult to go on with five courses at the same time. Mm -hmm. I dropped out, but I went back to university uh, the semester after that. And that's where I started uh, university in English, in history. <laughs> and uh, so I, I continued with the studies and eventually I started cycling. How did you get into cycling? Cycling has always been a passion, but one day I asked myself a question. I asked myself, could I be able to race on a bicycle? Would, would, I, would I be any good? And I always told myself that 
when you ask yourself that question, <laughs> there's always one way to find out and it's to try, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I went out, I, I wrote to Lynn Bessette. She was an Olympian and she, she was actually on our Paralympic team in London 2012. She and Robbie Weldon won the gold medal in the, the road race. She's always been a great inspiration to me. And I wrote her a note saying, well, Lynn, my name is Marc-Claude. I had an accident, blah, blah, blah. I would like to start competitive cycling, but I don't know where to start. Can you help me out? Mm. She wrote back. She put me in touch with Louis Barbeau, who's the director of the Fédération Québécoise des Sports Cyclistes. He introduced me to Eric Van der Leyen, who would become my first coach. And from there, I started training and competing. Wow. It's amazing to see the people along the journey, right? But inside of you, this passion, yes. nobody came and found you. It was something within you was bubbling forward. Mm -hmm. Do I want to become bitter or better? And there was something yeah. inside of you that wanted to become better. And you reached out and you had good people on the way to bring you into this beautiful new journey. Amazing people. And even today, I mean, all the teammates that I get to work with, the staff that we mm -hmm. have at Cycling Canada, Everybody is, is just wonderful and yeah, it's, it makes an amazing journey. Mm -hmm. It's one thing I've loved about witnessing your journeys on the sidelines is cycling, people might assume is an individual sport, but it's not. I not. mean, especially with Lowell and Tandem, but for everybody, even, mm -hmm. even those of you on your own bikes, it's such a team effort behind yes. you. Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's why I, I always make it a point to, to mention everybody that's, that's involved, you know, like mental preparation, strength and conditioning, the coaches, nutrition. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's so many people involved. It definitely takes a team to achieve these great heights. And we have an amazing team in Cycling Canada. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering what are some of your main takeaways from your time in the Paralympic program or specific coaches? Say somebody like Eric, your first coach, what yeah. did you learn about life and yourself through Eric? Sometimes you have doubt in yourself, but keep confidence because as long as you keep working to reach a goal, even if it takes you a little bit more time than, than someone else to reach that goal, you just continue working and eventually you will get there. You will, you will reach your, your goal and you'll be able to uh, put a, a check. Yeah. So consistency with your determination, right? You showing up to do your training, to do the races, to do the hard stuff. It's not always fun. I guess that's the wrong word, but sometimes <laughs> training, it's hard. You're getting out there and you're cold. You don't feel like it and you just have to show up and you have to do it. It's more fun after the fact. Absolutely. I do lots of conferences, you know, I meet lots of uh, kids in, in elementary schools and high mm. schools, and I make them do an exercise where they just open and close their hand. And I tell them that, you know, in the first seconds, you, you think that you tell yourself, oh, it's really easy because it's not, it's not tiring and everything. Mm. But as time goes by, it becomes more painful. And at some point you have, you can't open your hand. And that's the crucial moment. Why? Because that's the moment where you ask yourself if you give up or if you go on. And I'll tell them that, you know, it's the exact same thing that happens to me when I train or when I race, right? In the beginning, it's, it's quite easy, but as time goes by, it becomes more difficult. But you have to check in your, in your, in your mind to, to find the, the key that will help you overcome that obstacle and make you go on. And to me, that key is, well, there are 24 hours in a day and, you know, one hour has 60 minutes. 
And if, for example, an interval is two minutes, well, I think that two minutes in 60 minutes, that's nothing. I'd rather make an effort for two minutes and be proud for 23 hours and 58 minutes that I've done the interval rather than being angry at myself for 23 hours and 58 minutes that I haven't done the interval and know that when I get on the start line of a race that I will not have done everything that's in my power to maybe win the race. You should know that when you started with that exercise, Lowell and I both started squeezing our hands together. (laughs) I wonder how many listeners at home are doing that, seeing how long they can do it. See how long you can open and close your hand for. Yeah. (laughs) So at what point were you able to answer your question, can I race a bike? Can I be competitive on a bike? It took me some time to tell myself to feel that I was an athlete. It's not something that came naturally because I had never been in, uh, in high competitive sport, in high performance sport before. And for sure, becoming an athlete was a big challenge to overcome. And the day that I started feeling as an athlete was when I realized that I was really focusing on details that would make training more impactful on the, on the performance. So for example, really taking care of nutrition, taking care of recovery and well, for sure, all the intervals, training, base endurance training and all of that. So really taking the time to make sure that every detail was taken care of and that everything was running smoothly, that I actually had a good time training and competing and, you know, being surrounded by all of the other amazing athletes that are out there in paracycling, I think that's the moment that I felt I was an athlete. Mm. Exciting. Did you have a little celebration for yourself when you realized that? <laughs> I don't think I had a little celebration. Well, you're, you're long overdue <laughs> then. <laughs> There's a sense of our lives before the injury, before the incident and after and mm-hmm. an acceptance process. What has that been like to accept the new body art version of you with the limitations on fatigue, life after the accident and the injury. Was that a process of learning to love yourself and understand yourself or get to know yourself again? I don't see it as a process as much. It's not something that came instantly, but I think maybe unconsciously I went through different steps and one day I was more okay with the way that I am. I'm happy with, with who I am, and mm. I, I continue to grow as a human being each and every day. Yes, you do. So you seem like a really positive, glasses-half-full kind of person. Have you always been like that? Were you like that before your injury as well? It's difficult to tell because I actually, in all honesty, I don't really remember lots of who I was or how I was before the accident. I was also younger. So as mm-hmm. a teenager, you know, you don't necessarily have the same depth of thoughts that you have as a <laughs> older adult. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I believe you are a geriatric millennial like us, right? You're 83? Yes, 83. Lowell's 81 and I'm 82. And apparently mm-hmm. we are, oh, is 83 geriatric? You might actually be not. You might just be a regular mm-hmm. millennial. <laughs> so sorry to age you prematurely there. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. You've spoken about the team, right? Spoken about coaches, that there's this world around you that's helped you achieve in this this life since 2009 of joining cycling. Mm -hmm. Through that time in childhood and then through your injury and continuing forward, 
Who are the people in your life, not in sport, who've been in your support journey? Well, for sure, friends and family. Mm -hmm. Having those people around when they're needed or when they are less needed is, is always something that I'm grateful for. And for sure, the, the person who I get to share my life with, my, my daily life with, being with an athlete is not something that I guess is easy because, <laughs> well, you know, it changes the schedules and, you know, try to figure out, okay, when can we go on vacation and stuff like that. Keeps life interesting. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and, and for sure, it's a lot of sacrifices for us, but it's also a lot of sacrifices for them. So communication, for sure, is super important. Keep a healthy life. Yeah, and I often talk about that with Julie, that I couldn't do this journey without her support and knowing that mm -hmm. there is a sacrifice to us as a family, sacrifice to her and some of her wishes. Yes. What would you say are some of the, the biggest challenges for you and your partner in life? Scheduling, that would be one. Um, but living yes. with an athlete, what are what are the unique aspects of living with an athlete that our supporters have to come to terms with? Well, yeah, scheduling for sure, like you just mentioned. And I think it's also the fact that training is a priority. So having a regular routine for me is something that's important because it just helps me work better. You know, mm. uh, I'm just more effective that way. So I know that training has to be one of the first things that I do in a day. So it can lead to an interesting discussion, you know, <laughs> when trying to figure out, okay, what are we going to do today? Well, I have this training to do. Okay, but I want to go hiking. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I'll do my training first and then we can go hiking. So that kind of discussion <laughs> is the challenge. <laughs> <laughs> is your family still in the same community? Yeah, they're close. Family is close. So that's nice. I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My parents lived less than two blocks away from us. And with Lowell's decisions and training and everything, he's often looping my parents into the conversation as well because they are so involved in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. It takes that yeah. broader village too to be able to compete in, in sport. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's something to be really grateful for. Yeah. Do you have any pets? I do. Yes. I have two cats. Oh, they're a little more independent. They're probably not as bummed when you leave, hey? No, they're actually quite dependent. Oh, yeah. but for sure, when I return, like uh, there will be one or two days where, you know, I'm not going to be able to approach them a little bit. But after that, it's, you know, it's... they give you the cold shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> That's so cat like. Yeah. Yeah. You left me oh, all yes. this time. Yeah, I love it. I heard that throughout the pandemic. The concern was when people start going back to work that the dogs are anxious because mm -hmm. they loved having, you know, their owners, their families home so much. But throughout the pandemic, when people were home so much, I heard that made the cats anxious, having their people home so much. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, get out of here. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because like, hey, you're in my space. Exactly. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> There's a mindset to overcoming challenges. When you're struggling right now, do you have anything you say to yourself? Do you have any mantras? Do you have any beliefs? Things that help you get through hard times. I look at what I want to achieve, you know, in the long run, like also long-term, short-term. I look at what I want to achieve and I see the road that I need to take to get there. Mm -hmm. And when there's a bump on the road, rather than spending energy saying, oh, I'm angry at this, I'm angry at that. There's just one thing that I can control when something happens and it's mm. my reaction to that. Mm -hmm. So I just ask myself, well, you know, being angry at something, is it worth it? Or is it more worth to put energy to just 
go through it and, you know, get over the obstacle and continue. Has that become more automatic now that you've had practice with it? Or does it still take kind of talking yourself through to that point? Sometimes I need to talk to myself. I have to admit, but <laughs> it's becoming more and more automatic. But yeah, there are some times when I'm tired, I need to talk to myself, say, okay, take a deep breath, you know, and think, is it worth it or is it not? Mm-hmm. So really going into the mindset, going into the mental space within your own head to say, what am I feeling? Is this worth feeling it? What energy am I putting into this has been helpful for you? Yes, absolutely. When you're at the start, say we're in Portugal and Mm -hmm. so jealous. Yeah. Portugal. That was a beautiful time. We're preparing for world championships. We're traveling in a pandemic there's testing and it's stressful. There's lots going on. We haven't traveled in a pandemic like that before. And now we're at this course and there's wind and there's other countries and there's all these things going on Mm -hmm. and and everybody else trying to set up their race prep. What do you do? How do you focus on Mary-Claude and and what you have to do, your goal for that day? The way that I stay focused on the goal is to ask myself, okay, what's in my power? What can I influence? And all of the traveling and what other people are doing, the way they're preparing. It's not something that's in my control. So I really work hard, you know, in staying focused on what I can control and what I can control is my own preparation. Everything that I will do once I'm at the race. So setting up my bike, getting on the bike to warm up, getting to the start line 15 minutes before the race, all the time focusing on, okay, I can control this. I can control that. And everything that I don't have control on, somehow it stays outside of my bubble. And what I see in you at races is you are very focused on what is in your control. Mm-hmm. You are very calm and collected and you just yeah. go and get it done. When you're in the midst of the race, yes, it's easy to start and it gets harder and harder <laughs> in the yes. time trial. When you're at that point, when you're just pushing that limit of your body is screaming at you saying stop and your mind is saying keep going what are some tricks that you do to keep going to keep pushing on that edge when your body's saying stop well for one thing staying in the present and most of the time it's easier said than done so when i feel like my mind wants to control the body and say oh you know oh you're tired You, you know you can you could just slow down a little bit but Instead of doing that, because I mean, that's not how you win a race, right? (laughs) So I concentrate on, for example, uh, my cadence. I will have a quick look around without moving my my head as much as possible because you don't want to break that aero position, right? Have a quick look around, check my cadence. And I constantly ask myself if whatever I'm doing right at that moment, right at that second, will it have a positive impact on my overall performance when I reach the finish line? So as much as possible, the answer will be yes, it is something that's positive. I love it. I was just going to ask about something unrelated to cycling. So did you have something to say about cycling still? Um, no, let's go with your gut. Okay. I, yeah. Wait, do you have something? Well, well, sure. Julie has a question post-cycling, but just while we're still in it, can you reflect back to us a top moment from your cycling career? Uh, yes. Wow. Ooh, there are a few. Uh, <laughs> going back to London 2012 that bronze medal in the, uh, in the time trial, Eric and I sat down the, the day before and, you know, we're looking at the start list and figure that, okay, there are three 
competitors you know that we we have to watch out for one american and two australians and i knew that the australians in the c4 category they have a black thing on their leg and their skin suit is white green and and gold so the day of the race i had my head down and everything and maybe five kilometers to the finish line I looked up and, you know, I saw someone in a white, gold, and green skin suit. I'm like, oh my God, okay, there's someone from Australia right there. Okay. And as I caught them, well, I realized that it wasn't someone from my category. I'm like, oh, okay. But I continued because I hadn't crossed the finish line yet. There was maybe a couple of kilometers to go and maybe uh, one or two kilometers before the end of the race. Again, I looked up and I saw someone with a white, green, and gold skin suit. And now, as I was getting closer, I realized that the person had a black thing on their left leg. And that's when I realized that I was catching up with one of the persons that I had to either catch up or pass. And given the fact that we started one minute apart, mm. I mean, oh wow. it didn't take long. Like when I was like that close to the person that I realized that, I just have to continue pushing on the pedals. You're in you know, this. The middle is, is right there. You can just yeah. get it, right? And well, that, that's what happened. I went to get the, the medal, finished third, mm. uh, was on a podium, and that was incredible. Oh, wow. So it was you, one American and one Australian? Yes. You yes. knocked off the other yeah. Australian. Way to go. <laughs> <laughs> and for sure, the 2021 World Championship races, especially the time trial, mm. I was crying on the podium. <laughs> During the national anthem, those were key moments. I am not surprised when people cry on the podium. I cry watching you people mm. on the podium. So it's it seems like mm. a very natural. You worked really hard to get yeah. to that moment and just, just savoring it and soaking it in. And to have the anthem play, right? That moment of that pride. It's yeah. the culmination of so much hard work, dedication, dreams. And when that comes mm -hmm. true on an international level, when those dreams come true. Yeah. Yes, and imagine next next year, 2022, we have the World Championships back at home in Bekomo. Oh, yeah. 2022 World Championships yes. here in in Canada, in eastern Quebec. And so mm -hmm. I'm hearing, I, I see in your face, there's a desire. You're going to hopefully win something here at home. Is that a hope? Uh, yeah, there, there is hope for sure. And, you know, uh, <laughs> work will, will be done in that direction. Obviously, Lola, can you imagine? She's like, yeah. I'd rather not. <laughs> Right. Speaking of dreams, right? You still have dreams as you move forward oh, in the yes. sport. Oh, yes. Oh, that's exciting. Okay. Unrelated to cycling. I was just curious kind of what a day in the life of MC looks like and what your other interests are. Mm -hmm. I wake up usually 5.30. Sometimes I go to, for a run. I love trail running, mm. like running in the mountains. At 5.30 in the morning? At 5.30 in the morning, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Even when it's dark? Oh, yeah, it's dark, but I have a headlamp. So I go for five, six kilometers. Wow. <laughs> and uh, then I come back, have breakfast, and then, yeah, I have first training of the day. Sometimes it's on the bike, sometimes it's off the bike. If I do strength training, I go to the Olympic Stadium, which is in Montreal, which is half an hour from where I live. And after dinner, I will relax a little bit, study, because I'm also in school. Oh, what are you taking in school right now? I'm studying in social media marketing. Oh, that's very relevant. Yeah. To yeah. this Facebook, day and age. Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, uh, everything. So, yeah, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. And it's important for me to keep my brain active and keep learning stuff. That sounds like a very busy brain activity day for 
anyone, even somebody without brain trauma. So what, what time do you check out at night? What time do you go to bed? I usually go to bed at quarter past nine. And an hour before going to bed, I shut down anything mm. electronic, any, any blue light. And it's time that I, that I take for myself. Yes. I may do a little bit of stretching, a little bit of yoga, a little bit of reading. And then I can go to bed and close my eyes and have a peaceful sleep. Mm. Wow. You're good. (laughs) The early bedtime thing is more my speed as well. You live as an athlete, right? Very specific, right? Very routined. And, Mm -hmm. and that's the, that movement. It's about recovery. It's about sleep. It's about learning how to turn your mind off. It's about challenging your brain when it needs to. Yes. Also trying to balance a relationship and trying to make sure that you have enough time for your partner. And there's lots that goes on in trying to balance a busy life of being a student and being an athlete. Yes, my motto is never stop being a seeker and take action. Nice. Because, you know, you think of things that you want to do, but if you want things to happen, you have to take action. Nice. So never stop being a seeker. That's about the curiosity. It's about gaining the information, but it doesn't just stop there for you. Now you need to take action on that. Absolutely. That's beautiful. I really like that. Are you a motivational speaker? I don't consider myself being a motivational speaker, but I do give lots of conferences in Mm. elementary schools and high schools. And I love meeting the the kids, telling them my story, telling them how I got to be where I am today. And uh, they they ask tons of interesting questions. I enjoy that a lot. What kind of questions do they ask? Oh, they will ask me of questions like, um, how many bikes do you have? (laughs) And? Not, not enough. <laughs> I have seven bikes. Oh, is that all? <laughs> yeah, that's wow. all. That's enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, we saw a meme a while ago. Uh, it says, my biggest fear is that when I die, my spouse will sell my bikes for what I said they cost. <laughs> what the equation is, is it's always with bikes, it's always N plus one. Yeah. So the number of bikes you need plus one. <laughs> yeah and that number the answer is seven <laughs> currently yeah <laughs> uh we were talking about kids mm-hmm. the, the kids are asking you yeah interesting questions how many bikes do you have they ask some funny questions what mm-hmm. do you want kids to hear what, what do you think the takeaway is for kids these days that you when you leave them what do you want them to take mm-hmm. away what's a key message for mary claude to the children what I'm hoping that they take away from what I tell them is that there is no shortcut to whatever you, you want to set yourself for. You have to work, you have to persevere, you have to be resilient, for sure you have to make sacrifices, you really have to dedicate yourself, make an effort, and if it doesn't work the first time, keep trying. Mm. Along the way, you will have picked up more tools that can eventually help you for another objective on another journey. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what I hope that they take away from what I tell them. Beautiful. That's an amazing message. I think a perfect point to end, don't you think, yeah. Lowell? The story of perseverance. Yeah. It's awesome. Is there a way that people can follow along with your journey? And do you have anything that we can promote for you? Well, yeah, absolutely. People can follow me on the web. I have a website, mariecmonal.com. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. People can follow me there and I'll be happy to exchange with them. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. You're very welcome.
we'll continue to push each other to go faster and continue to foster this wonderful team environment that we have. Absolutely. Well, I want to acknowledge you, Mary-Claude, for your positive attitude, the joy that you bring to projects, your dedication, your perseverance, and this message to help children to see that things don't have to come easy. There's no shortcut, but if they have the right positive mindset towards it, that they can achieve their dreams. And you have done that. You've set yourself some goals and you've achieved them. And I'm really proud of you for all that hard work. Well, thanks, Lowell. I'm sincerely touched. And for sure, I can return the, the compliment to you because you're a great person. You're an amazing person to be around on the team and your presence is always appreciated. Love it. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Thanks to you. Yeah, have a lovely day. Thanks, you too. Okay, right. Take care. Bye-bye. Chat later. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Mary-Claude Molnar. MC. Teammate and two-time world champion from this year, 2021. She has a great mindset. Positivity, determination, and this idea that you set goals and even if you don't reach them at first, you keep trying. And she's done that in her career. Yeah, great messages, especially for kids to hear mm -hmm. as they're launching into their lives, stick with things. And it really is another beautiful story of the past. When we run into one of these obstacles, she's 21, launching her life and trying to go off to university and, and create a career and a life. And then in a blink of an eye, somebody on the highway hitting her from behind and it changes things and the resilience to overcome that, to choose a positive mindset, to, to find something new. And then this internal bubbling of spirit to say, I want to race bikes. I don't know how to do it, but I'm going to reach out reaching out to people that she admired and then pulling her into this community, a place that she could belong and a place that she could thrive. It's a beautiful story of resilience and growth. Awesome to hear her story. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Mary-Claude, for sharing your story, your insights, your positivity, and thanks for being an amazing teammate. I didn't acknowledge it as much in the podcast, but she really has been my interpreter a lot of times ah. when we're traveling and in regards to some of the things that are going on, um, the coaching or other athletes. So she does a great job of using her French and, and helping me out. So on a team, we all help each other out and she's definitely a big support on the team. Awesome. Her handle on Instagram and Twitter is at Marie Molnar, M-A-R-I-E-C-M-O-L-N-A-R. Perfect. Go follow her. See what's going on in her jersey. I mean, <laughs> see what's going on in her journey. <laughs> I just looked at a picture and I was just thinking, oh, if you go to her page, you could see a picture of her in her jersey. <laughs> ah, yes. Anyways. Yeah. Side note here. We've been loving the entire podcasting process, in particular the conversations, obviously, but we currently have too many balls in the air. There's a lot going on for us, so we're going to take a bit of a podcasting break. Thank you all for your continued support, and we look forward to connecting with your earballs via the podcasting world in the new year. Anywho, thanks again for listening. Take care. Love you guys. Bye. Bye.